Well, hey, I sure love the series that we're in on this road trip. It's a great thing and a great thing in the summer. Appreciate uh, Nathan putting that all together and Jason's message last weekend. And I get to dive in on one of these obscure passages this weekend about Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, and how there had to be kind of a mid-course correction. I'm just curious, how many have ever gone one-on-one with your GPS and lost like me? Isn't that a frustrating thing sometimes? How many have ever heard that rerouting, rerouting, rerouting? Yeah, all the time, all the time. A few years ago, I was at a minister's conference out in Houston. A buddy of mine from Phoenix, Cal Jernigan, was there. We've had Cal to speak here a few years ago. Great guy. <clears throat> a lot of times, me or whoever, a buddy I may kind of get together with, we'll decide, hey, you're going to be there? Okay, well, I'll rent a car this time. You rent the car next time. We'll kind of ride together, save a little money. And so I was driving, and uh, we had to find our way back to a satellite campus that was brand new in, in an area next to a subdivision that was re- really neat, but it was also new. And so I punched it in on the GPS. We'd been there the night before. I thought, surely I can find my way easily, but I'll just go ahead and GPS the thing. How many like me as a guy know? that I don't care what they tell you, I know a better way to get there. I do. I, I do all the time. I think I can figure this out. So anyway, that's what happened and we're headed that way. Literally, it takes us through this neighborhood and I'm thinking, wait a second, I don't remember any of this. We're stuck in the neighborhood. Turn left, turn right, go straight, turn left. And it t- took us, all of a sudden we saw the church over like this pasture and a fence, took us all the way up to the fence and it literally said, stop and get out of the car and walk the rest of the way. You know, and I think, what good is that? Now, I don't know if you've ever had a mid-course correction where you, you needed some further instruction and direction on where to go, but that's what happened in Moses' life as we look at it this weekend. Now, just to give a little bit of review to understand what that is, uh, it, it's good to, to remember the beginning of Exodus, and you can turn to chapter 18. We'll get to that in just a few moments. But in the beginning of Exodus, uh, actually, as Genesis ends, Joseph dies, it kind of goes... Uh, from Adam to, uh, to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, Jacob, and then to Joseph. And then that's pretty much uh, uh, the heroes there within in Genesis. And now after Joseph has died, it says in the first chapter of Exodus, there was a Pharaoh. They all lived in Egypt at this point, God's people and the Egyptian people. But a Pharaoh, a king who did not know who Joseph was, had no memory of God's people and God's leaders and God's kindness. So that's how it's born. It's the oppression of slavery. In the midst of the oppression of slavery, Moses is born, and he grows up. He's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. They put him in a little basket down, and he floats down by the river, or he would have been killed. So that was an appeal to God save him somehow. He's born. He grows up uh, until he's 40 in the palace. Now, he's Hebrew. He looks Hebrew. He knows Hebrew. Everybody else looks at him and knows that he's Hebrew as well. But what happens is he has this intense moment of defending the Hebrew people. And in defending them, he actually kills an Egyptian who was abusing a Hebrew, a fellow Hebrew. So he has to run for his life. So now for the next 40 years, he gets married, has some kids, and he's a shepherd in the land of Midian. And all of a sudden, a burning bush starts talking to him, and it's the voice of God uh, letting him know he's calling him to go back to Egypt and to bring his people out of slavery, the Jewish people. If you know anything about that, you you know that uh, it was not a nice conversation. Moses had one excuse after another, after another, after another. Finally, he says, God, get somebody else. And God said, no, I'm not going to get somebody else. I will get somebody else to talk. I'll get Aaron, your brother, to speak. 
Now let's just go back to a moment, to a moment and talk about his marriage. Matter of fact, I, you can tell I'm, I'm rusty on this. I forgot to welcome everybody in the video venue and the dear people to my heart uh, who are online, several that are, I'll wink at here who are in Romania. Would you welcome all of them to in the building? Got them all, got them all. We're glad you guys are here. 64 is starting to fade. How do you do this again? What did I forget? So anyway, let's talk a moment about his marriage because Moses had a little bit of a troubled marriage. You don't really read a whole of that, a lot of it. You have to read between the lines to see that. Now, how many had ever seen the movie with Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments? How many are carrying like me an AARP card and you saw it on the silver screen? Long ago, all right? I, I, take a look. at Here's a picture of Moses' wife from the movie Ten Commandments, uh, and it's a lady named Yvonne DiCarlo, played opposite of Charlton Heston. And I remember I'm 10 or 12 years old. I'm seeing it on the, on the big screen, and I, 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 she almost looks familiar. I don't know. Wait a second. I know that voice. I know, I know that. Who is that? Who is that? Now, you have to look at the next picture to see who I knew it really was, Okay. Lily Munster, all right? Uh, reruns, okay, think that. But people my age will remember the Munsters, okay? And, and so here's, here's Lily Munster. That's Yvonne DiCarlo. That's, now, very few people know that trivial fact and even less care about that trivial fact. <laughs> so let's head on. Moses had a little bit of disconnect with his wife. What had happened was God said, you go back to Egypt and free my people. I'll lead the way. She's ready to go, the kids are ready to go, but something had not happened, it appears. Moses is Hebrew, the mark of a little Jewish boy with circumcision. And Moses, it appears, had delayed that decision. Now think with me, the fella who had intense Hebrew loyalty to kill an Egyptian has now forgot who he is. And he doesn't seem to impose that mark and that symbol on his sons. So he's a little spiritually ambiguous, if you will. I'll apologize to him in heaven if I'm off on here, all right? But I think for a moment, like we all, he forgot a little bit of who he was. Anybody ever forget who you were? I don't mean you forgot your name. I mean you forgot how to act. Please, I need more than three people. I can't go on. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Oh, much better. Much better. So here's what happened. They wrestle with that. And the reason I, I, I think that is because it says that she says to him, you are a bridegroom of blood. In other words, she thought that's the worst thing in the world to do to our boys. That isn't right. She didn't understand the history and the mark and Abraham, the covenant, all that type of stuff. So he goes back and he approaches Pharaoh with the famous words of God says to let my people, your slaves, your whole uh, employment agency here of making the pyramids and making the bricks and all that, you let my people go. God says, Pharaoh, they don't belong to you. They're mine. You've been killing them left and right. You've been practically aborting every little boy forever. Let my people go. And Pharaoh says, really? Your people? Let me tell you, Moses, what I'm going to do. They're going to have to have the same amount of, 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 of quality work and, and quotient every, every day to make of bricks, but they're going to have to do it now without straw. They're going to have to find their own straw. We're not going to supply that. So all of a sudden, now all of Israel says, Moses, what are you doing to us? I thought you came to help. No, you're, you're hurting us. So they have to make bricks without straw. 
All of a sudden, God, through Moses, as he leads him, brings on the plagues. Now, Nathan talked about that. Jason referred to it last weekend in his message. And here come these plagues left and right. The Nile River turning into blood. Darkness, gnats, frogs, uh, uh, hail coming down on fire from heaven, killing the crops. And all the time, uh, God's people are, are spared of all that. So here comes the plague. Now, you might remember the very last plague, plague number 10, and it was the one that finally got Pharaoh's attention. It was the death of the firstborn, death of the firstborn. And, and all they had to do, the Israelites, was to put the blood of a lamb. And, and have that for supper that night, but take the blood of that lamb on their doorpost and stain their wooden doorposts with blood. And if you think about the cross, one day, what an image to let them know what's going to happen for all of us one day if we hold on to the one who died on an old blood-stained cross, an old rugged tree. And the amazing imagery of all that, but that's what was happening. And that was the, the, the end of the plague. So that plague, that night, as it came about and God spared the Israelites, but not the Egyptians, now here comes the Passover because God's angel passed over when he saw the blood on the doorpost. Well, there go the Israelites, and they take off in the freedom, and they have this exodus, this leaving of Egypt, but it's not long until they have their backs up against the wall of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh decides to send his whole Egyptian army and the men and their chariots and horses, and they are right upon them, ready to pounce on them and either take them back as slaves or kill them or do whatever they needed to do. So the seas part. God brings this incredible miracle, miracle after miracle, but, but the, the Red Sea parts and the Israelites, the Bible says, go across on dry land. He really blew it pretty, pretty strong to dry up that mud and they make it through fine. And all of a sudden the Egyptian army comes after them. They're going to go right on through too. But as soon as they get on over there, as soon as the Egyptians get in, God lets the seas wash them all away and drown. And that's the end of the Egyptian army at that point. Incredible thing. Now, after the seas part, there's a song that was sung. It's called the Song of Moses. And it's a little song that says, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider fell into the sea. It has a little chant to it. It's really neat right there in, in Exodus. So they celebrate. They continue to move on. They come to some water. They're thirsty, but the water's bitter. God says, throw a, a piece of wood in there, and I will sweeten the water for you. And they did. They move on and they, they have manna and quail. Manna was that bread that appeared in the morning. They had to get, the Bible says it's like coriander seed and honey. And I've told you before, I've done extensive research. Sopapillas, all right? Good dessert. I've done extensive research at a Mexican restaurant. That had to be what it was, okay? Something like that. God provides that. And then they whine and they kind of complain. And God says, oh, too many carbs. You want protein. All right, you keto people, here we go. So he sends quail and they have quail and they feel a little bit bulking up. They're a little stronger, okay? God kind of accommodates them all the time. They're dehydrating. There's no water around. And he says, Moses, put your staff on the rock and water will come from this rock. And I'll miraculously hydrate over a million people. And he did. They go into battle and the Amalekites want to kill him. And God raises up Joshua. It's kind of the first time it mentions that he's, he's going to be a military general. And that's what he was later after Moses died. And here comes Joshua and he defeats the Amalekites. And if you know that story, that, that uh, Moses is up on the, on the mountaintop and he's lifting his hands up to heaven saying, God, give us victory, protect your people, please bless us. And as long as his hands were held up high, Israel, the whole nation won in battle. And he took a moment and says, I'm tired. 
Uh-oh, we're losing. Okay, God, I'm back. Here we go. And back and forth, losing, winning, losing, winning, to the point that he finally had his brother Aaron and a guy named Hur. I don't get it. That was his name, Hur, H-U-R. And they come and they lift his arms up. How many have found that if you have somebody who helps lift your arms up to God, symbolically speaking, you feel closer to him, amen? I've had to have people who lift my arms up when I can't lift my arms up Lift my heart up, lift my head up to God. That's what we're supposed to be as a church that comes alongside one another. All that to say, that was the history they went through. After that, they build an altar, they worship, they celebrate, and now we're time for Jethro. Now it's time for the father-in-law to bring Moses' wife, his daughter, and the sons, his grandsons, back. It's time to get ready for this mid-course correction that Moses will lovingly need. Now, when I, I uh, uh, met Sue Lynn, my wife, we began to date back in 1976, up the road a half hour in Scottsburg. Within a matter of three days, I met her grandpa, her stepdad, and her dad, Harry, Larry, and Gary. <laughs> Not kidding. Yeah. I'm thinking, how am I going to keep these guys straight? I don't know. Uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, not Larry Moe and Curly, but Harry, Larry, and Gary. Great, great fellows who have impacted my life incredibly. Now, Moses is in for an in-law impact. Let me say the, the three points I want to mention today for us to do that we'll learn from his life. The first thing that he did well that you and I will need to be able to do is to celebrate what God has done with his family. If you and I can begin to celebrate what God has done and share that with our family. In chapter 18, if you want to follow along, you'll be able to just kind of see where we're headed in the next few verses. Now, not many of them will pop up on the scripture. We'll paraphrase quite a few. But you'll see in the whole chapter that we'll cover what really happened. The first part is the, what I call the play-by-play. So here's Jethro, and he's got Moses' wife, his daughter, Zipporah, and they're coming on back. And the boys, and they're ready to reunite. The word on the street is God has done an incredible thing. So Jethro gets an earful before he gets there. He also is very well aware of the marital separation that has gone on because Moses has done a tour of duty on God's behalf. He's been raising the grandsons while Moses was off doing what God wanted him to do. He gives him a heads up to the visit. Uh, Moses sent word for him, want you to know, being Zipporah, the boys, we're all coming. He was greeted warmly, and he received an amazing update from Moses. Now, here's that point. We've got to be able to communicate what God's done with our family. Anytime a minister at another church will say, hey, George, God's really blessed you guys at Northside. What's going on? When did all that growth, how do you struggle when you quit growing and you're, you're rebuilding and all that? And, and, uh, and how do you begin to get people to come to church that aren't coming to church? I said, well, I don't know, but I would probably say, first of all, God's, whatever's happened here, God's done by his grace. We're, we're just trying to stay out of his way. I said, but do your people who come on the weekend have Friends and family? Oh, yeah. I said, good. Make it to where they want to come. It's pretty simple. (laughs) You invite your friends and family, don't you? How many have ever just invited a friend or family? Just raise your hand. How many right now are seated next to somebody that either invited you or you invited them? Okay. Turn to your neighbor and say, 
Thanks a lot for inviting me. That's it. Turn back and say, are you buying lunch today? It's only a buck on the patio. Good deal, all right? So all of a sudden, here's Moses bridging this gap of in-laws. And they're not outlaws, they're in-laws, all right? They're good, good family. And he talks about the plague and the protections. Jethro, you won't believe what happened. Everything went dark, but we could see in our part of the, the, the area where we were. All of a sudden, there's frogs, and even in the Bible says, even the, the kettles in the pot in the kitchen for all the Egyptians. We're, we're frog-free over here, man. It, it, God made a great distinction of, of, of his people and everybody else because we were so mistreated. He said, we've been delivered out of slavery 430 years, Jethro. 430 years. And we are slaves no more. And now we got a place and with some space, and it's amazing. So the question is for you and me, can you and I confidently, that means without notes, don't have to write this stuff down, just go off the top from your heart and share with your family and vulnerably articulate. What does it mean to be vulnerable? It means not defensive. So if somebody you begin to share a little bit with, they say, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're all brainwashed down there, you know. It's just a cult. Look at the thing, big and beige. That's a cult, you know. You know? I heard that before, and I don't know what to say except, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Jeth Jethro took all this in because Moses articulated it. Now, sometimes we, we have to articulate where God has brought us from or what God has brought us through. I love to hear the testimonies of people who share their heart. And a lot of times they'll appear on video here at the Northside family. It is a tremendous blessing to hear what God has brought you from or what God has brought you through. I think we're all kind of like the two different people. One would be uh, the fellow who was uh, healed of blindness by Jesus. And I think we have that. I, I was blind, but now I see. I, I, I love that phrase, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. In the New Testament, there's a man that Jesus healed, and, and he born blind. And all of a sudden, he can see everything. He can see you, you, and you, and you. And, he, and he's just going crazy over the colors and the people. And it's a whole brand new life. He has not been able to see until Jesus healed him. Well, it happened to be on the Sabbath. So the, the, the Pharisees are getting Jesus in trouble. And they're saying, wait a second. You come over here. We want to now, now, who did this? Who did this? They're not celebrating with him. They're trying to land somebody in jail over the fact that they broke the Sabbath law, which misses the whole heart of the Sabbath. Sabbath was created for man. Man, Jesus said was not created for the Sabbath and that law. And they asked this guy's parents and they say, oh, listen, he really wasn't blind. He's just kind of been faking it all this time. He's probably just, they said, no, no, no. He hadn't been able to see a thing. And by the way, he's of age. Leave us alone. He can speak for himself. And I love the beauty of his simple testimony. He says, they said, okay, who did this? How they did it? And he says, I don't know. All I know is I was blind. But now I can see. There's some of us that have been spiritually blind. But now we can see we've been blind all our life. We knew there's a God. We knew there's a church. We'd heard of Jesus. We'd seen crosses everywhere. And we knew, knew that maybe praying would do something. We thought maybe it was just better for people to feel a little easier and calm them down a little bit. 
And then all of a sudden we began to see the reality of life and the reality of God. And sometimes it's through a very painful experience. And we were blind, but now we see. And that's what we need to somehow be able to tell other people. Now, for some of us, uh, we not so much blind, but now we see we were stuck, but now we're free. Does that make sense? We, we were stuck and something had a hold on us. Now, if you were a slow train coming, you maybe were the one who was blind. And God didn't make sense for a long time. But if you were like me and you knew God at an early age, you just went stupid all of a sudden and went rebellious and kind of walked away from all the blessing only to realize that life apart from closeness to God is a very painful, shameful thing. Trust me on that. It just is. Maybe you've been stuck like the, the guy in the story that Jesus told a good Samaritan. And he's got beat up on the road to Jericho, and he's left for dead. And a, a judge comes by, and a priest comes by, and a Samaritan, a biracial fellow who much prejudice was against. If it were in my world, in our daughter's world, a missionary in Romania, it's a gypsy. They are hated because they're not European. They're not totally from India. They're somewhere in between, and there's a tremendous prejudice. You know, we suffer from the same thing in our country and our time as well. So here's this guy beat up, and he sees a judge come by, and he thinks, ah, government's going to help. I got news. Government ain't going to help. And he walks on by, and he still has this feeling of, don't leave me like this. Maybe he's not even conscious. Maybe he looked dead. And maybe that's why when the priest walked on by, the priest says, oh, poor guy. I'm not going to make eye contact because I might see him reach his hand out to me. And the priest, if he would be around a dead person, if you're around death at all, you can't be around anybody else for ten, or pardon me, seven days. You were unclean. So he walks on by too. And this fella beat up by the side of the road probably said, don't leave me like that. Please, somebody don't leave me. And the last person anybody would expect to a Jewish audience that Jesus was telling the story would have been a Samaritan that everybody hated because he's not Jewish completely and he's not Gentile completely. Completely, he's somewhere in between. And yet, he crossed that line and reached out and helped. And that guy said, thanks for not leaving me like this. We got a lot of people here. And some of us at some point in our life will be that guy on the side of the road and we will look to someone else who says they know who God is and who Jesus is. And the caption over our head will be, please don't leave me like this. Maybe that's who you were. Maybe that's how you got here. Whatever God brought you from or whatever God brought you through is something you need to tell those around us so we can celebrate with you and encourage with you. That's what Moses did. I'm sure he said, Jethro, you know my story. You know I'm not Midianite. You know I'm Jewish. You know I've struggled with imposing that on your daughter, Zipporah Lily Munster, all right? You, you know I've wrestled with that. You know I've struggled with what do I do with the boys? Do I make them Jewish? You know all that. But he just, I think he had this incredible openness because at some point in Moses' life, he was blind, but now he could see. He was stuck, but now he was free. He was stuck in hostility and resentment for 40 years. 
And now God says, I need you back in the game. Listen to this incredible worshipful response from Jethro in verse 9. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel, rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He's celebrating, as Moses says, every little detail that we just talked about. Verse 11, here's what Jethro said. Now I know the Lord is greater than all other gods. Remember, he's the priest of Midian over here. He doesn't know the true God. He just knows a bunch of gods. He says, now I know the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who treat did Israel, your nation, your people, arrogantly. He gets it. A dad gets it. A grandpa gets it. We understand when our kids are abused. We understand when mistreatment, injustice, all those things happen. Jethro understood that, and he said, you're God. I get his heart. I understand he wanted to protect you because all of you are his people. The way he's protected you is incredible. Then Jethro, Moses' verse 12, father-in-law brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. He's going for his checkbook, all right? He's saying, I'm in on this. Let me help. Let me throw the next party. Verse 12, Aaron came, Moses' brother, and all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. And you have this real holy moment. I mean, everything is there. God's there. They're there. Uh, the father-in-law is there. The elders are there. Everybody except Sam Hancock tuning up and lifting up our hearts, you know. It, it is just this awesome, incredible moment. Have you ever had an anthem, a song that just got stuck in your, not your head. <clears throat> we'll have that. Get stuck in your heart. It, it might be a song we sing here that you just hear a phrase and it just keeps on going on. Uh, everybody has probably a playlist or a ringtone that kicks in. Uh, at 8 o'clock, uh, 7 o'clock central time, I have a ringtone that goes off to remind me, give my dad a call. Because supper's over and he's ready to talk for a few minutes. He talks much better with ice cream after he's had that, okay? He just, uh, he's happy. He's ready to go. And, and uh, uh, for my dad, that's, I, I want to make sure he captures many of those moments as I possibly can, not nearly enough. But I have a little uh, ringtone, and everybody would guess what the ringtone is. I mean, it's a no-brainer. If you want to be reminded to call your dad, it kicks in. 1970, The Temptations, Papa was a rolling stone. Everybody knows that. That's, that's the reminder. you got to go with that one. You know, I, I've got another uh, alarm that kind of wakes me up in the morning. It's from an old Christian song 15 years ago called One of These Days. I love the chorus because it just says, One of these days... I'm going to see the hands that took the nails for me. One of these days, I'm going to hold the keys to the mansion built for me. One of these days, I'm going to walk the streets of gold that were paved for me. One of these days, I'm going to see my Savior face to face. One of these day, yay, 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 yays. <laughs> Seven syllables to say one word. I don't know why. That's just what musicians do, all right? I love to hear that. It's just a great, comforting, reminding song and an anthem. Maybe a song like this, if you grew up in the church, might have been an anthem for you. Say the words with me as they appear on the screen. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow or turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Now let's give it a try in case you've heard this song before. <clears throat> Started in a bad key at 945. I'll give it another run, okay? Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. 
Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. That was sweet. That was sweet. I don't care who you are. That was sweet. That was good. <laughs> and that thought at some point needs to be in our hearts through the good, through the bad. Great is his faithfulness to everyone of us. That's what Moses could tell. Now, the second thing we got to do is recognize wisdom of God when he surprisingly sends it to us. All of a sudden, Moses kind of got ambushed by <clears throat> the wisdom that Jethro had. Sometimes we are learning from the unlikely, and we miss that, and we think, I may not have anything to learn from you or from them, or certainly not from them. And all of a sudden, here's Moses thinking he is uh, just I I inspiring his father-in-law with the goodness of God, and we find that next thing is Jethro has some advice. He has some GPS, get out of the car and walk the rest of the way, Moses. He challenges his blind spots. He gives him a strategy for success and a way to survive. Uh, this last fall before the basketball season started, we have several coaches of, of guys, high school basketball, that go to church here. And I, I got the four that, that I'm aware of, uh, head coaches, to, to over to our house. And Sula and I fixed some chili and, and the, the Hoosier accompaniment of chili. Not just a little bit of spaghetti, but oh no, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You got to do that with chili. Coming in from Illinois, I had no idea you have to do that. Hoosiers got to do that. So we, we have Jared Hill. He uh, coaches up at Henryville. Uh, Brandon Hoffman at Silver Creek. Uh, Todd Sturgeon from Floyd Central, Jim Shannon from New Albany, and just hung out for a while together and talked. But, you know, two weeks before they have to become literal enemies and beat each other, you know, and, and that competitive thing. And it's great because they're all great guys of faith and great heart, shaping as best they can this next generation of ballplayers and athletes and students, and yet very well aware of the challenges and for us to share what's the challenge of leading in the church or coaching a team. And as we ate the chili and hung out a little bit over at our house, we began to talk about, okay, I remember I just asked him, I said, guys, tell me, because I know what I have to navigate. What do you guys have to navigate when it comes to receiving criticism from other people on this? You know, we're the critics. And they all just says, <laughs> look at the time. I got to leave here, you know. No, no, they were fine. We hung out till 9.30 or 10 o'clock that night. Because we've got to be able to somehow discern what we need to hear and what we don't need to hear. The question in this moment is, can you and I hear the truth about ourselves and not become defensive, but remain coachable and correctable? What you see that Jethro had as he began to give some unsolicited advice, an incredible observation and unsolicited advice to Moses he begins to let Moses know, yeah, God's done an incredible thing. That is amazing. But then he watched him work one day all by himself before he went back home. All right, they're all settled in. in. Moses and Zipporah, kids, everybody's fine. Jethro's about to go back and continue to be the priest in the land of Midian. But before he does, in verse 13, he, it says that Moses went to work and he's judging people, making a judgment calls. Okay, you're in the right, you're in the wrong. No, you're in the right, you're in the wrong. All day long, sun up to sundown. 
Verse 14, Jethro respectfully questions his wisdom in his over-involvement, if you will. Verses 15, 16, Moses respectfully defends his work and decisions. This is kind of what I do. I led people out of Israel. Now I guess till God tells me something different, I got to judge everybody. I got, and God was getting Jethro in the game to get the family in the game because then Jethro confronts Moses. But listen how he does it. He does it in such a sweet, respectful, endearing, I'm with you, I'm for you way. He says to Moses, Moses, I know you are the Bible hero. There'll be action figures of you someday at Kmart. But what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work's too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. Now notice he did not say, you can't handle it. He said, Moses, you can't do it alone. I can't do it alone, they can't do it alone, or elders can't do it alone, Northside can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. Now, I got to see uh, Ben, our nephew, our college-age pastor, and Crystal, and, and most of you know their little, little girl, Calla, who's nine, in Cincinnati in the hospital, and we're sure praying uh, for her in a, a very rough time, and they'll be... Uh, He'll be listening right now. And he just wanted me to, to let you guys know how much they love you and how much they appreciate you as a church praying for them. They're overwhelmed with the, the love of Northside and family and friends. Uh, as I say that, I have to let you know, as our kids and as Ben and his uh, brother Jonathan and uh, my nephew and, and uh, their sister Sarah, my niece, have grown up with my dad, their grandpa, Ben is by far the one who imitates his grandfather the best. My dad, all the time growing up, and for good reason, had one phrase about every time he'd look at me. Well, what'd you do that for? <laughs> Anybody have a dad like that? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Please indulge me for a nine-second video of Ben doing the family favorite impression of my dad. Here we go. Do that for? What'd you do that for? <laughs> See, I can do the impression perfectly. What'd you do that for? What'd you do that for? <laughs> Isn't that something? It's amazing what's precious to a family, isn't it? You know, I gave my dad every good reason to talk to me that way, but I knew I had done something wrong. What did I do that for? Now, Jethro didn't do that. Jethro could have come in and said, Moses, you're nuts. You're crazy. What are you doing? You're going to kill yourself. This ain't going to work. He didn't do any of that. He simply said, what you're doing is not good. And then he explained why. He was concise. He was to the point. And he had to hear it. Moses had to hear it. He had to accept that. Now, listen to what happens afterwards in verses 19 through 23, because Jethro continues to take the high road, and he advises and blesses. He says, Moses, I'm all for you. You must be the people's representative before God. You're on the right track. Absolutely. I'm not saying delegate that. No, 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 no. You can't delegate that. You are the representative. You are this priestly type of guy that goes in between people and God. He said, teach them the decrees and show them how to live. He said, it's not show and tell. It's tell and show. We get that backwards many times. Uh, here's one I got. Let me tell you about it. Uh, we don't care. We've already seen it, you know. 
Tell them how they need to live, explain why, and then live it out, Moses. Live it out. Make sure they can tie our words with our behavior. Okay, they hear or see our behavior, eh, or just hear our words, that's eh, not enough. You gotta tie it together in that order. He says, appoint these leaders of integrity over the people. You gotta let go, Moses. You have to empower. Break them down to thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. It's a great small group strategy for any church. They'll do the heavy lifting. And you take the tough cases, Moses. You just get the hard ones. They do the heavy lifting out there by tribe, by group, and all that. And you're going to, everybody's going to be happy because justice is going to be served. People who can do a lot of work, and that is the beauty of the life of the church. At Northside, God has been so gracious to us because people step up. I was blown away at Easter because we had 800 volunteers at our services at Easter. And after I'm getting the stats, talking with Nate about that and everybody else, I'm saying, this is amazing because we're a church. We have become a church. There's always three churches in every church. Church we used to be, church we are right now, and the church that God wants us to become. And we're becoming a people where the audience is turning into an army that we're ready to go and do our calling. And Jethro is saying, Moses, you got to let go of some of this. Let them have meaningful service. They'll do the heavy lifting, but you take the tough ones, all right? They get the nuts and bolts. You get the wing nuts. That's how that works, okay? You'll survive and the people will be satisfied. You'll do this. God's going to bless it. And that brings us to the last point. That you and I, we got to remember, we didn't get here by ourselves. And we're not going to get, get where we need to go by ourselves either. Anybody ever seen this picture that comes up on the screen? When you see a turtle on a fence post, you know one thing. He didn't get there by himself. <laughs> None of us gets there by ourselves. And Moses, rather than be t defensive, has a perfect response to his father-in-law. He followed his advice to the T. And he survived. Struggled. But he survived. And the question is, can we tell our family, about God, and help them believe. If you and I had any homework for today, that's probably what I would say. I don't give out a whole lot of homework. But if you and I did want to say, is there something we need to do this week? I would say try to be able to tell what God brought you from, where he brought you from, and what he's brought you through. And articulate that with your family of the goodness of God and the grace of God. Or maybe you and I need to hear some godly advice that we never ask for. Moses did not say, how can I do this better? Oh, no. Jethro beat him to the punch on that. And maybe how can we encourage one another to live out our calling? And one of my favorite songs is going to kick in now in the background, and you'll hear it, and you'll pretty well recognize it. Just a little karaoke version, so you don't hear the words, don't hear a big melody. But if you know the chord progression, Eric Clapton made it popular, but a Christian guy named Gordon Kennedy, who was in a Christian band in the 80s, wrote it, called Change the World. Moses was going to let God change the world through him, but he had to tell the story, he had to listen to the advice, and he had to empower other people. He wasn't going to change it by himself. 
Now, fast forward, we see Moses ended, eh, he struggled a little bit to the end, didn't get to go in the promised land, lost his temper, didn't represent God as holy one time. But what about Joshua, the next leader? At the end of Joshua's life, let's see how the protege turned out because Moses was willing to take this mid-course correction. Chapter 24 says, now fear the Lord. This is Joshua talking to the people. He's about to die. Fear the Lord. Serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away gods of your forefathers worshiped beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods of the forefathers that were served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. Say it with me if you would. But as for me and my house... We'll serve the Lord. He, he drives a stake down, says, for me, I'm about out of here. Well, how did, how did things go after that? Let's take a look. Verse 31, Israel served the Lord through the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who'd experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. I want, I want my life to live beyond me, whatever I put my hand spiritually to. And God wants you to do the same thing. May we be people who take the mid-course correction from God so that he can change the world through us. Amen. Love you guys. See you on the patio. God bless you. Have a great weekend.